So as we turn our attention to the passage for today, I want to read for us um, from Ephesians um, chapter 5, the first part of Ephesians chapter 5. So would you just listen and allow the Lord to speak to you this morning through this great word? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is God's good word for us today. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we, uh, we thank you for today, and we thank you that we get to be together as your church, and we thank you for your word that always teaches us and leads us and guides us. I pray that we would today... Um, hear from your word in such a way that it may speak to us about who we are and who we ought to be. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hi, everyone. How's you, how you doing? Well, this is a loaded passage and it was a long passage, right? And it's one that, uh, man, there's a lot to talk about in it. And if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, We've been walking through the book of Ephesians um, for a while now, and we just take a chunk, of course, from the book and we talk about it and what God's saying, and then we try and talk about life. We try and talk about what God's saying about our lives and the good and the bad of it and the ups and downs of it. And, and I know that anytime we gather on a Sunday in a church, almost anywhere you go, there's a lot of reasons why we show up. And some of you, you're showing up because uh, you're always here and you always show up, and I'm so glad you do. Um, and you love it, and you're part of this family. And some of you are showing up because like, you were... You were really in this place where you're searching, or maybe you're needing hope, or maybe you are uh, in a struggle, or perhaps you're just full of joy, and, and you just needed to get among God's people, and you needed to worship today, and, and there's all sorts of reasons that we come together and, and worship, but I know this, no matter what reason you're here, no matter why you're here today, I, I truly believe that, for, that God always is speaking, and that God will speak, and that God will have something for us if we let him. And, and I want to encourage you to really allow that to happen today, that, that God wants to, to meet you where you're at, and he wants to speak with you, and he wants to encourage you, because God always has something better. He just does. He just, that's just the way he works. He always has something better, and, 
that's no promise of anything grand. It's just the, it's just the truth of he knows what's better for us, and he has it if we'll, if we'll allow him to give it to us. And so this passage uh, can feel, if you were really trying to follow it, can feel like a big list of do's and don'ts. Uh, there's a lot of language around light and darkness and sin and things like that, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, if you will, can get caught in the weeds of this and trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? But I, let's just start at the beginning, shall we? And we're not going to break every word down in this, but we're going to start with this. The very first word, you can go to, the, to verse 1 of, of this passage. The very first word is this, imitate. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you, are dear, because you are his dear children. So imitate God, or we could say imitate Jesus in everything you do. That's a tall order, right? Are you with me? Like, that'll keep you busy for, say, the rest of your life, right? Like, we got a long ways to go on this one. And the truth is, about this idea of imitating, or maybe we could use the word copying, we're all pretty good at it. We've got a lot of experience in this category, we just don't really maybe acknowledge it so much. Uh, let's get into this with a few different things. I want to show you a picture. Um, and you guys probably remember this, right? <laughs> this is a picture. This is a microcosm of 2016. You guys remember that year where every week was like a battle, like the real Donald Trump and the real Hillary Clinton going after tearing one another apart, essentially tearing the country apart. And then part of our weekly American rhythm, though, on Saturday night, right, was we'd get Alec Baldwin and Kate McKinnon imitating them. And they did it really well, didn't they? <laughs> and it would actually help us sort of laugh about all of this and recover from the week that was and prepare for the week ahead if you were into this. And uh, it just sort of lightened it a little bit. And imitating, if you will, is often used in this way, isn't it? To mimic to, to, to make fun, to laugh. Um, it's sort of a, a thing that we, we do. You ever have, I mean, how many of you have the annoying brother or sister, right, that copied everything you said? Quit copying me, quit copying me. You're annoying, you're annoying. Mom, mom, you know what I mean? And how many of you were the annoying brother or sister, <laughs> right? I, I mean, I was there, I was, I, was, I was that person. And Obviously, Paul is not getting at that sort of imitating or copying in this passage. It's, it goes a little further, and he's saying become more like Jesus, of course. He's saying follow in his ways, do what he does. I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life that you've tried to emulate, that you've tried to imitate, that you've tried to do what they do. You've tried to follow in their ways and do things the same way they did them. Anybody had a person like that? You like tried to copy them. I want to show you a picture. This is from a, another picture. This is from yesterday. Uh, we were at the men's breakfast, and this is Ashton Owens and me, and we showed up wearing the same hat. And so the question is, who had the hat first? Who copied who? Right? Well, if you know us, the answer is obvious. Ashton had the hat first. <laughs> if you know Ashton, you know every reason why I would copy Ashton, right? He's the coolest guy in the world. So anyway, we do this in life. We copy people and we, uh, when you're younger, do you remember, right? We, especially as kids, as teenagers, you're always sort of trying to figure out what kid you want to try and be like. And at 15, I had a, had a good friend that I, I thought he was cool and I wanted to try and do everything like him. And, and, and so I did really, we do weird things, by the way. I mean, because especially as teenagers, you always copy people, because adults never copy people, by the way. And, 
And I don't know, you just do, you copy the weirdest things. And so my friend had always with him a mini pot of Carmex. I'll show you a picture. You guys remember this? It's the mini pot of Carmex. And I don't know why this was a thing in the mid-90s, but it was. And he had it with him, and I thought, that's pretty cool. So I got me a mini pot of Carmex and put it in my baggy silver tab Levi jeans, right? And I, and I went through life thinking, this is great, I have Carmex. But here's the thing about Carmex. It's, it's strange, first of all. It's a mini pot that you stick your finger in and then do this, right? Why do they make a stick that you don't have to actually touch the substance before you, and then put it all over your face? Well, anyway, I went skiing that year. I go skiing, and I don't want it my, I think you don't want to get your lips chapped when you go skiing. So I bring my mini pot of Carmex with me because it's copyworthy and very cool and very hip, and so I wanted to be cool. So I bring it, and I think I don't want to chap my lips. But here's the thing about Carmex. It's basically oil, if you don't know this about Carmex. It's a little different. It doesn't have that key ingredient, SPF. And so... I'm out in the Colorado sun, full force on the face, after recently applying my Carmex, which is basically oil, and it literally fries my lips in the Colorado sun, and my lips swell up like two orange wedges on my face. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was a nasty sight. But we just do the weirdest things in life, like we copy and imitate the strangest things for the strangest reasons. And anyway, last week we talked about this idea of going from the old self to the new self. And I have another slide. We did this, uh, this image last week. And so it says imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. But then this, this picture, we're not going to break it down again, but we talked about how there's an old self, there's a new self, there's all these things that kind of represent that, and in between, that, to actually get to the old self and the new self is this process of the Holy Spirit transforming our minds. Again, if you weren't here, it was an idea of change. How do we change? How do we become like Jesus, right? How do we do this in life? And here's the thing that I think is interesting, is that, now by the way, I'm not saying that you need to change because you are necessarily bad, or you're not good enough, or that God doesn't love you the way you are. No, that's not the case at all. No, God has a desire to actually take you and move you forward. That's what the gospel does. It moves us forward. No matter if you're 15 or you're 40 or 80, the gospel leads you forward into becoming new. And why I say that is because so many of us, I think we get this, we're never going to be perfect in this life. We're never going to achieve perfection. However, the Bible, God, Scripture, it always leads us forward. And I think what, why I, I stop and pause on that is because I think so many people think that the Christian faith, the Bible, God, it's, it's sort of like pulling us back. You know what I mean? Like they have this image like, oh yeah, you're, it's like the stop doing all that sort of stuff. And, and it seems like it's a thing of the past almost, like it's a relic. And so people think that it's archaic. But here's the thing about our faith and about the scripture. It's actually planted in the future. That's where it is. It's planted in the future and it's leading us into the future. That's what the Christian faith is all about. And so many, I get so grieved, if you will, by the Christians and the churches that try and get us to go back to the good old days, 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? And they're like, it's not, it's, oh, if we could only return to the glory times or something. Like, no, 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 that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't look around at his community and think, oh, man, you should have been around in the days of Moses. You know what I mean? He's saying, no, no, I'm going to lead you forward in the world that you live in. 
Because that's what the gospel does. If, if the Christian faith was actually lived as God intends it to live, it's the most forward-thinking way of life the world has ever seen. The problem is, is Christians actually totally start messing it up, right, by imitating and doing the wrong things, and they're copying the wrong things, messed up things, weird things, and we're not actually becoming like Jesus, and the change that's supposed to be happening in us isn't happening, and so we aren't being led forward, and instead we're being led backwards. Are you with me? We're going backwards sometimes, and we keep finding ourselves going back to the old self, and he's saying, no, I'm going to lead you forward if you'll imitate God, if you'll follow in my ways, if you'll be like children. See, what does it say? Back to the verse. By the way, I'll say this. Ephesians 4, do we have that? Ephesians 4.24, which we looked at last week, it says, put on the new self created to be like God. So he says that like God statement right then. Then a few verses later, which we're looking at today, right? Ephesians 5.1, which we've said a few times already, but we keep saying it again. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now, children always, right, when they're young enough, they want to be like their parents. They want to be like, I mean, most of the time, right? They want to copy their parents. I don't know if your parents have ever had that experience. Just a few weeks ago, no joke, this happened in my life. Grayson, my four-year-old son, says to me, we're walking to the van, he says, Dad, what do you think I should be when I grow up? Four years old. Ask this really big question. And I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. I mean, if you know me, I'm all about who you're becoming. I'm like, yeah, let's get into this, Gray. Let's dig into the, dig into the deep here, dive into the deep end of the pool. Who do you want to be when you grow up? So I said, I don't know, son. I don't think I said son, but let's just imagine it. I don't know, son. What do you think you should be? And he goes, I don't know. Maybe you'd be a firefighter or an astronaut or maybe a cowboy, which is an amazing answer because he says all the three classic boy things, astronaut, cowboy. I mean, I was like, how did you even know that that was like a thing? And, and, I, and I'm like, please become a cowboy. Please. I don't know. I just think it would be so awesome. Hey. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so anyway, I say, I say I, okay, I don't know. He goes, you know what, Dad? I want to be like you. He said that. I'm like, yeah. It's like top of the summit, you know what I mean? Like top of the world moment. My son wants to be like me, wants to follow in my ways. And he says this, no joke. He says, because you don't do anything, and I don't want to do anything either. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, no. It happened. And I'm like, I'm like, I mean, he thinks firefighters and cowboys are doing stuff, and astronauts, which we know astronauts don't even have a program anymore, but I'm doing nothing. So anyway, some of you are like, hey, he's got a point. Um, let's get back to the Bible, shall we? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are still children. Live a life filled with love. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And I love that sentence, that we can be a pleasing aroma to God. So many of us spend so much energy trying to please people in life, don't we? And then if you're like, well, how much am I really doing to please the Lord? Um, man, it, it's kind of like a conversation you don't want to have usually. So before we get into the pleasing thing, because we're going to get into that in just a moment, um, the question that it's sort of already being presented is, who are you copying, right? Who are you imitating? What, what's, really, what's really defining, if you will, your decisions and influencing your decisions? And I think for a lot of us, we, we sort of think nobody is. 
I, I'm leading my own life, but the truth is, is there's so many influences that so many of us kind of look to, and they really do shape the person we're becoming. And they're actually the, the change agents in our life. And, and, and although there are people that are worthy to follow, there are Christian leaders and mentors and things like that that we should follow, I, I often wonder if, if we're, we're truly taking the example of Jesus in our life and saying, how do I be Jesus? I mean, so classic WWJD, right? How do I be Jesus in this situation? What would Jesus sort of do? Like, how do I become like Christ in this sense? And I don't think we ask that question enough in life. I think we instead ask other people to speak into our situations, and oftentimes those people aren't necessarily asking that question either. Like, what would Christ do? And they go into their own fleshly human experiences and opinions, and we live in a world of other people's opinions, and we essentially are imitating other people, aren't we? So, as I sat with this passage this week, the mind, my mind went to the disciples, because they were the first person that tried to, had to figure out how to be like Jesus, didn't they? The disciples were the very first person who were like, okay, we see Jesus, we see what he's saying, we see the way he's living, and he's saying to be like him, so what do we do? <laughs> because everything about him is different than what we thought was the way we're supposed to be. He's like changing the game. So what are we supposed to be? And I think about all the different failures they had, right? It was just the blunders. It was a bumpy, clunky sort of thing. They had a lot of great successes as well. But the, when it first started getting going, it was like one thing after another, confusion, denials, you know, doubting. You remember, I mean, Peter, the most written about disciple, of course, denies Christ on the night he was arrested many times. And then there's other circumstances in life that, of course, restored him. But there's a story I love in Matthew 15 in which Peter comes to Jesus after he's telling, saying, or teaching a parable, and he, and he, he kind of has this moment. He's like, uh, Jesus, like, don't even interrupt it. That whole thing you just said, that parable you just said, um, can, you, can you explain that again? I'll just show you the story in, in Matthew 15. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Which Jesus, of course, had just asked a parable, or, sh- or shared a parable, excuse me, he says, explain the parable. Seems like a simple question. Uh, but then Jesus would reply, right? Which I love. Are you still so dull? Jesus, are you still so dull? Which seems really harsh. Now, what you got to know is a couple things about this story. Is, first of all, a few verses earlier, Peter and the disciples had just said, hey, Jesus, quit. quit. You know, you might need to cool your jets a little bit, like kind of back off on your words because the Pharisees are getting upset. You don't want to upset them anymore. So please stop. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to say it like it is. He, so they're all worried about what the Pharisees think. They're trying to make sure everybody's happy, right? They're trying to please them. And he says, hey, explain the parable again, because what he's really saying is, I'm not sure you're tr- what you're saying seems really harsh, but is it as harsh as you're saying? And, and, and he's like, are you still so dull? Quit being so weak. Quit being so weak, Peter. Quit trying. I mean, by the way, I love, it's the greatest comeback ever. So if someone ever says anything, we can just say, are you still so dull? Like, get it embroidered on a pillow, give it to him, Whatever. Right? Like, it's this great comeback. I love it. Are you still so dull? Peter was trying, it, by the way, the, explain the parable to us. The, the original Greek translates like this. Uh, I don't get it, right? So he's like having this moment, like he's so confused. He doesn't get what he's doing. And, 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 Peter, and Jesus has to once again say, Peter, please quit worrying about what everybody else thinks and just do what I'm saying to do. Just do what I'm saying to do. Quit worrying about what those Pharisees are thinking. I know you grow up idolizing them. I knew you grew up thinking they were it. But quit worrying about them. I'm telling you the truth, which is why I love the story in Acts 10. 
about Peter. Peter this has this history of trying to please the Pharisees, right, and please the religious elite, so to speak, and he has this moment in Acts 10. We don't have the time to do a deep dive into it, so I'm going to do like a quick story here. But he goes on a roof, and he starts praying. And he has this vision. A lot of you know this story. He has this vision, and the Lord says, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. You remember this story? Do you know the story? And he gives him all these visions and things like this. And, and, and this was really what's happening in this story is this pretty big change in the whole religious system, the Jewish system, was there were things that were clean and things that were unclean, right? There were things that you could eat that were clean and things you shouldn't eat because they were unclean, things you couldn't touch. There were people that were clean and unclean. And pretty much everybody that wasn't Jewish was unclean. So you never really associated with them. You didn't do anything with them. You didn't eat with them, dine with them. You didn't talk with them. You didn't trade your donkey with them, right? You didn't do anything with these people. If they were Roman, Greek, Samaritan, anybody non-Jewish, it was like unclean, right? Then he says, I want you to go to the house of Cornelius, who, by the way, is a Roman Gentile, and I want you to share the gospel with him. Peter's like, battling, surely not, Lord. Now, I'm putting this in here, but I, I assume it's got to be part of the reason he's like unsure about this is, what would everyone think if me, Peter, the leader of this new church, went into the house of a Gentile? Which is a big part of this whole story, right? A big part of this whole story is he's about to do something that... that for most people thought shouldn't be done. So he finally obeys. He goes to the house of Cornelius. He shares the gospel with them. And of course, the whole house, not just Cornelius, his whole family, his staff, his soldiers, they all come to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And then the word spreads. And that's what we'll pick up a little bit in Acts 11. Acts 11, the word spreads. And some believers are upset about Peter doing this. So if you think that Peter was worried about what people were thinking Probably, because here's what happens. Soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea, and the Gentiles had received word, that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So, speaking of Cornelius' house, right? They, the word spread. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him, right? So there it is. They start criticizing him. And these are the Jewish believers, meaning believers in Jesus. This is not just Jews. Jews, this is like the people of the church, the new church that had just been founded. They criticized him. And it says, you went at the home of a Gentile and even ate with them? That's unclean, isn't it? And they said, or, and then Peter told them exactly what happened. So he starts to unfold the story and takes a whole chapter, so I'll summarize once again. He goes on and he tells them about this vision that God gave them, and he talks about how he goes to Cornelius' house, he obeys the Lord, and he says, you know, what you thought was right, Jesus is changing it. So instead of perpetuating this divisive, unloving belief that there are clean and unclean people, he says, I'm going to quit worrying about what you guys think anymore, and I'm going to do what Jesus said to do, and I'm going to do what actually Jesus actually did when he was with us, because what did Jesus do? What did Peter see? What did the disciples see? They saw Jesus go to a Samaritan woman and embrace her. They go to the whole Samaritan town right after that and see so many come to know him. They saw him teach Greeks at the Decapolis. They saw him teach and go and, and, and interact with Romans and call them great men of faith. They saw him touch the disease. They saw him eat with sinners. And they finally got it. Oh, becoming like Jesus is actually doing what he did. And it's, and it's not, it's, it's imitating him. It's not being trapped in this, maybe this popular belief system that everybody else thinks is the right thing to do. Because what, is, what does the gospel do? 
What is it? Remember the very, I said it a while ago, the gospel, Jesus leads us forward. He leads us forward to a better humanity and to a better way of life. That's what he does. And he's doing it right here. He's like, I love all people. You don't get it. And this moment marks the whole transition in the New Testament church in which the gospel is available for everybody, right? So this is a significant moment in the story of the church. But the truth of us, the truth about us is that so many of us, I think we struggle with this more than we'd like to admit because we're trapped in the cycle, if you will, of people-pleasing versus fixating our attention on what does it look like to please the Lord? What does it look like to please God in my life? And what happens if we're in that cycle? We're actually unable to see the new thing that God's trying to do. He's trying to lead us forward in. Because the things that are going to please him and the things that he say imitate me or become like me in are always going to lead us forward. But if we're trapped in doing what everybody else thinks we should do and trying to please them, we actually can't see the new thing. And so we just have this life that looks like it's just an up and down roller coaster rut of a life, which I hear so many people describe about their life. And I go, oh, you don't have this trajectory where God's leading you forward? Probably because you're not imitating God. Probably because you're not becoming like him, you're becoming like everybody else. So what happens in all of this is not just pleasing, but maybe I could put in another word that I think will strike a chord for some of us as we try to get to the approval of people, don't we? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a boss or a parent or a sibling or just a person in your life that you're like, I just... I seek their approval all the time. I want, I want to know that they respect me or affirm me or love me. So what happens in the name of all these things, pleasing people, getting approval, it, by the way, it's all just a version of, of self-preservation, isn't it? Like a means to an end to survive but what happens in that process and in that cycle is we actually compromise our convictions. We take our passion that maybe God gave us, the new thing he did give us, and we put it on the back burner. Or we put it you know, on the bench, and we put our efforts into pleasing and seeking approval. And what happens is we find ourselves actually trading in the new life and trading in the new thing and trading in the new self once again back into the old self, and we've moved ourselves backward instead of forward. Are you with me? So, I know everyone in this has a story probably that you can honestly tell about how you've tried to please people or tried to get the approval of someone and it's ended up hurting you in some way. All of us have those moments in life where we've done that. And I, and I, and I say all this because I have to kind of make a disclaimer. I don't think the heart to please people is a, wrong, is a bad thing because part of pleasing people is the act of serving people, right? And so hear me say it's not about serving people and trying to serve people in a way that actually pleases them. No, no, no. It's saying... If your motive, if your motive is for yourself, and if your motive actually becomes more about pleasing people and getting the approval of people versus the obedience of what God's called you to be, because here's the thing, if, you ser- if you're serving people for the right reasons and you're pleasing people for the right reason, it smells a little good to God. It's like a pleasing aroma to God. I was talking to uh, Micah about this this week. And the other day, and he gave me a great quote that his grandpa used to always say. So we get to quote Grandpa Kirsch today. He says, you please God, period. Others who please God will be pleased with you, and you just can't worry about the rest. Pretty good words from Grandpa Kirsch. 
So Peter, right, going back to that story, Peter's standing in front of all these people. They had just been complaining and criticizing, right? And here's what happens. The whole chapter goes on. He explains the story. And then he says this in verse 17. He says, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us, it was like this discovery. He's giving them the same thing he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. Well, who was I to stand in the way? And I think about how often, man, it just kind of like struck me. Like, do I stand in the way of God in the name of holding the status quo? When the others heard this, so everybody hears this, they stopped objecting and criticizing, and they began praising God. So here's what I love about this. Going back to a little uh, Grandpa Kirsch's. Others who please God. So here's a bunch of God-loving people who are confused, right? He tells them the truth about the way things really are, and they're pleased. So actually, whenever you actually do what God says to do, even those who are maybe originally objecting you, they might actually start agreeing with you and praising God as a result of it. That's called leading the world forward, isn't it? The problems we face, the things that we don't like about this world, perhaps it just takes people that are willing to face criticism and objection, but they know it's what God's calling them to do, and on the other side of that, there's praising God and there's a sweet aroma kind of floating up to heaven. Are you with me? So here's, there's so much good in this, isn't there? And you're like, yeah, that's like the first two verses. I know we have like 12 left, so we have a couple more hours. <laughs> no. um, Michael read 14 verses. I just talked about two of them. He goes on from that point and he talks about all the impure sexual immorality that's in the world. He says, you can't have this. You were once in darkness, now you're in light. And he gets down to verse 8, and I'll just read part of these verses again. He says, for you were once full of darkness. So he goes on this whole list of these things that people once were. He says, you can't be like them. For you were once darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this, excuse me, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in its worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So what does he do here? He keeps talking about this light and darkness. I think so many times it's such a massive uh, illustration, if you will, metaphor in scripture that we get in, we get kind of in this whole light, dark, sin, no sin kind of framework, and we just kind of let we, we lose sight of really what he's saying. What he's saying is something is pretty powerful. It ties everything together. Imitate God, all these sorts of things. And then he goes on to this rant about light. What is he talking about? Let me ask you a question. What does light do? It exposes things, right? It exposes the darkness. It exposes the reality. You know, Ephesus was a port city. And in that the port city, even in the ancient world, had a lighthouse, by the way. One of the, one of the ancient wonders of the world was just across the Mediterranean Sea, and it was uh, in Alexandria, and it was a huge lighthouse, right? And, it, and, and, and Ephesus had a lighthouse as well. Every port city did. And what these lighthouses did, of course, was they did what? They led people in the way they ought to go, and they brought them back home. They brought these ships home at night because they wouldn't have known any other way. And, he's, and, and Paul is saying this to a group of people that totally understand the, un, the, the, the importance of light and the darkness because it leads people where they need to go. And he says, this is who you are. 
There's a bunch of people in the dark. You're the light. You're going to lead them forward if you imitate God, if you follow in his ways, if you fill your life with love. You were once in darkness, but now you are the light of God. You need to lead the world forward. And the only way to lead the world forward is to actually become like Jesus because that's the only thing that's ever led the world forward. Everything else leads it back. There's nothing in this world that actually can lead us forward. The only thing that leads us to the future because everything about Jesus is planted in the future, by the way. Everything about his message is about where it's going. Restoration, bringing things back to the way they ought to be. And he said, if you want that, if you want to see the fullness of God's love poured out on all people in all time, well, then you got to keep moving forward. And the only way you're going to move forward is if you're the light. Quit imitating the wrong things. Quit trying to please people. Quit trying to keep up with them. Quit trying to be like him or her. Because listen, we don't need you to be him or her or them. We need you to be you. And you need you to be you. And the best version of you is actually the one that's trying to please God, the one that's trying to actually fill your life with love. That's the best version of you. And that's who you need to be. That's who they need you to be. And that's who we all need you to be. That's who the city needs you to be. That's who the world needs you to be. It needs you to be you the way that God wants you to be you. And so many of us, I know we think we don't do it. We are trying to become like everyone else. God's saying, don't become like everyone else. Become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. And when you do, you're going to radically... You think religious tension was thick in a world and racial tension was thick in a world that thought most people were unclean and some were unclean? What did he do? He sliced through it like a knife and said, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Right? And he said, no more. I'm leading you forward. And yet here we are in a world that continues to try and go back. He said, if you trust me, it's the most forward-thinking, progressive way of life the world has ever known, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to not only experience in our own life, but that's what we get to share with the world. Some of us are trying to find a way forward. I know that. Some of us have a problem. We need a way forward ourselves. We're like, I need a way forward. I need Jesus to lead me forward right now. Maybe you don't have a problem. You're just like, I don't know what to do or where to go. I need to know where to go, what to do. That's my forward. Some of us are bored with life and we need a way forward. And some of us are stuck in a rut and we need a way forward. And some of us, I, I, I know this because I know you. Some of you are so excited about the good work that God is doing in your life and in the lives of people around you. And you are just so thankful right now and you're going God what's next what's forward where are you taking me I'm so ready for what you have for me God Holy Spirit would you pour out and I think so many times we focus on oh if you're in the pit and some of you are you're in a rough place and you need a way out but some of you are like God I need more I want more I'm hungry for more please pour your spirit out would you do it God and I'm saying he will he will he will he wants to lead you forward no matter where you're at and he has promised that for us and he's going to take us forward. But he's saying, will you imitate me? Will you become like me? Will you look to my scriptures and see the things that I did? And will you do that? Will you become that person? Because if you do, you're not only going to experience where I want to take you, you're going to be a lighthouse 
to the world that needs to find their way home. You understand that? Like, that's what he's saying. So right now, I want you to, th- I want you to think of something. I want to close. I thought about this. I want you to think of something that, I f- that, that you need to find a way forward in in your life. In fact, why don't you just close your eyes? I want you to actively think of something that you're trying to find a way forward in. Maybe it's a relationship that's totally like, you're at a loss for what to do about that relationship. It's just like a mess. And you're like, God, I don't know what to do with it. I need a way forward. Maybe you have this sin, this habit that's just like, you just, you keep tried to beat it and you can't and it just keeps coming up and showing its ugly head again. And you're like, God, I need a way forward. I need to know how to deal with that. Maybe you need a way forward and what to do with your family. Maybe you're at a, you're at a, in a battle in your house right now. Maybe you need a way forward at work or a challenge that you're facing physically, maybe an injury or an illness, or maybe, maybe financially you need a way forward. Some of you have a past that just like, how do I get out of the past? I do want to move forward and you just, you need, you need God to pull you forward. This is what the gospel does. He'll lead you forward. I don't have the answers, but I know he does. I know he will if you go into this place right now. And not, it's not just prayer. It's about praying and letting the spirit renew our minds. And then it's about putting on the new self. Putting the effort in to say, I'm going to put on the new self. So if you feel like you're stuck, or if you're in the dark, or if you feel like you're lost, I just want you to hear right now with your eyes closed. I want you to hear he has you. This morning, I don't know, I just, I want to invite you to a moment. Some of us in here need, the, the idea forward for you is, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. That's my step forward. Like, that's, that's the thing. I've been fighting that. I've been trying to be like other people. I've been trying to, and, and I just need to submit. I just need to let go. I need to quit fighting, and I need to, I need, my imitating God, my becoming like Jesus is actually stepping into a relationship with him and, and becoming a follower of Jesus. And some of you today, that's, this is you. This is for you, and God is here. And I told you at the very beginning that if you'll let him, God will speak to you, and he has a better thing for you. And this is it. He has a better thing for you, and it's called a relationship with Jesus, one in which you say, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I believed, I believe that if any person any person would truly say, Jesus, you're Lord of all. And I believe you're the son of God. I believe God sent you down. You died on a cross for our sins. You're raised back to life by the creator of the world. And you sit on the throne right now. I believe that. And you can be saved. And I, I want to help you do that today. And I, and I just want to say this. If you're here and I say, I need a way forward and it's, I need to give my life to Jesus, I just want to invite you right now to have a courageous little step of faith and to just lift your hand to say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Would you just do that right now? Just lift your hand if you say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I need to step into this. Just lift your hand wherever you're at. Go ahead. That's good. Well, listen, if you today want to give your life to Jesus, I just told you exactly what it means. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that he's Lord, believe in your heart that he's the son of God. And I would encourage you right now to just confess that to him. 
just pray that right now. Say, Lord, I believe you. I believe. I confess it to you, Lord. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Maybe right now, just do that in your own heart. And for anybody else that maybe is already a believer, I'd say, if you have something that you need the Lord to lead you forward in, this altar is going to be open. Our prayer team is here. Let's actually step into this and allow the Lord to speak to our hearts about what he's saying to us right now. So Father, we pray that as we as we move into a time of response, of worship and prayer, Lord, would we have the courage to go to brothers and sisters and to pray, not just for the things that you want to lead us into, but the things that maybe we're dealing with, the things that we need to be in agreement with someone about, Lord, would we come to the altar? Would we do whatever needs to be done? Would we pray in our seats? Father, would this not be just the closing, but this would this be the response of the work that you're doing in this place? Lord, we love you. We give you these moments. It's in your name we pray. Amen.